In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with Therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. The Disappearance of Madeline McCain and the Lake Bottom Murders. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. This week, we focus on the mysterious disappearance of a three-year-old baby girl and the gruesome and baffling murders at Lake Bottom. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number 1. Disappearance of Madeline McCain Ten years ago, the world was shocked at the disappearance of three-year-old Madeline McCain while she was on vacation in Portugal with her family. Her parents, Kate and Jerry, were out there with several other friends and their children in the town of Algarve, Portugal. Every evening for the last four nights of their stay, the friends had dined together while leaving their children in their respective apartment rooms as they slept. The grown-ups would take turns checking in on them every 20 to 30 minutes. And on the morning of May 3rd, 2007, the day she disappeared, Madeline asked her mother during breakfast, Why didn't you come when we cried last night? In reference to her and her brother. Although the parents didn't think much of it at the time, after she disappeared, they believed someone might have entered the children's rooms the previous night. The McCains stayed in apartment 5A on the ground floor of the complex. 
Although it was 50 yards away from the restaurant, those in the apartment would need to walk out to a public street, enter the doors of the resort, and then walk through to reach the other side of the pool in the restaurant. From there, the apartment complex roof was visible, but not the patio door. When the parents headed out that evening, they had left the patio door unlocked because there was no way to lock it from the outside. They simply drew the curtains and also used it as their main access point when checking in. A child safety gate was also in place to make sure the kids couldn't exit. By 11 p.m., it was Kate's turn to check. It was then that she realized the door to the patio was wide open along with the window next to it. When she checked inside, Madeline was missing, and only her security blanket and stuffed toy were left behind. She ran back to the restaurant hysterical, telling the rest of the group. By 11.10, Jerry asked the resort to call the police, which they did, and they also activated their missing child protocol. About 60 resort staff, together with the guests, combed the area until 4 a.m., calling out to the little girl, hoping she had simply wandered off. But as the hours wore on, it was clear that she was nowhere to be found. What made the case most troublesome was that there were clear mistakes during the crucial 24-hour window after Madeline went missing. Border Patrol and Marine Police were not notified or given a description of her until several hours later. A roadblock wasn't set up until 10 a.m. the next day, and there were no house-to-house inspections in the area. What's more, crucial sightings and leads were never followed up until years after the disappearance. The crime scene was also not secured properly or even examined by the police. The bedroom window, believed to be the entrance and exit of the abductor, wasn't examined until after curious onlookers had trampled on possible evidence. In the UK, Madeline's disappearance created a major media sensation. The Leicestershire police came in and assisted the Portuguese police, but this further aggravated the relationship between the agencies and resentment abounded. Furthermore, the media presence and coverage of the case did more harm than good. Her parents admitted they decided to market her disappearance to ensure she would remain in the public eye. It even came to a point where they hired PR people to handle the coverage and keep journalists up to date. The Portuguese police resented the presence of such media outlets, which caused more problems for the investigation overall. As for suspects, there were a few. The first was Robert Murat, a 34-year-old British-Portuguese property consultant who was acting suspiciously by asking too many questions about the case. He also lived close to apartment 5A, so eyewitnesses saw him in the area during the time. Nevertheless, his home was thoroughly searched and there was no evidence linking him to the little girl. Other people of interest included former employees of the Ocean Club Resort along with several men who were seen soliciting money in the days leading to the possible abduction. Finally, the Portuguese police also considered the McCains as suspects themselves. They theorized that instead of abduction, it was actually a case of murder or at least an accident and a cover-up by the family. The McCains were interviewed and Kate was told that if she admitted it was an accident and that they had covered it up, she would only get up to two years in jail. The relationship between the McCains and the police further soured because of this and it hampered the investigation even further. Today, the case of Madeline still remains a mystery. It's been 10 years since she disappeared. Her twin siblings who went unharmed that night are now 12 years old. Kate and Jerry are still determined to find their little girl And if she is still alive, Madeline McCain would have turned 14 years old this year. 
Number two, the Lake Bottom Murders. On June 6, 1960, four Finnish teenagers, two 15-year-old girls and their boyfriends who were both 18, were out camping on the serene shores of Lake Bottom located just 14 miles from Helsinki. Between 4 and 6 a.m. while inside their tent, they were brutally attacked by an unknown assailant using a knife and a blunt object. Three of the victims were killed during the attack, while the fourth teen, Niels Gustafsson, was severely injured but managed to survive. Niels suffered a concussion with bone fractures on his jaw and face. While in shock from the events, he said he saw a vision of black and bright red eyes coming for them. At around 6 a.m., several bird watchers in the distance saw the collapsed tent and a blonde man walking away from the scene. But it wasn't until 11 a.m. when a carpenter jogging through the area came across the gruesome camping site and then alerted police. During the investigation, it was revealed the suspect never even entered the tent and attacked the teens from the outside, stabbing them through it with a knife and an unidentified blunt object. The attacker also took various personal items from them. Several clothes, along with Gustafson's shoes, were missing. Some of the items, including those shoes, were later recovered, hidden around 500 yards from the murder site. The wallets and other belongings, along with the other male victim's leather jacket, were never recovered. There were several suspects named for the crime. Some of the prominent ones include Penty Sonnenen, who was a maintenance man accused of property damage and violent crimes in the 60s. When he was 24 and in jail, he confessed to the Lake Bottom murders and said he was 15 years old at the time and lived nearby. However, police believe he was merely a psychopath who wanted attention and didn't put much weight into his confession. He would later go on to hang himself in 1969. Another person police looked at was Valdemir Gilstrom, who was considered a prime suspect in the case. People in the area knew him for hating campers and having a violent temper. Although his wife provided an alibi for him, saying she was awake with him on that night, she later recanted the statement on her deathbed, explaining that he threatened to kill her if she revealed he wasn't with her. As for Valdemar himself, he died in 1969 as well, drowning himself in a lake while drunk and after confessing to a friend saying, I killed them. Even though the police searched his property, his relatives believed the knife he used, along with the other items he took from the victims, were likely buried in a filled-up well. The third prominent suspect was a supposed KGB spy by the name of Hans Osman. On June 6, 1960, he showed up at a local hospital looking disheveled with red stains on his clothes and black fingernails. He lived a short distance from the lake and even matched the clothing that the murderer was supposed to be wearing. Finally, the last person of interest and the only one charged and acquitted is survivor Niels Gustafsson himself. 44 years after the crime, he was arrested on suspicion that he murdered his friends. In fact, the Finnish police announced the case was solved after new analysis of the bloodstains were conducted. It supposedly pointed to Gustafsson as the killer, citing he could have exploded in a jealous rage, brutally attacking his girlfriend multiple times compared to his other two friends. He murdered them so there wouldn't be any witnesses, and then self-inflicted his own wounds and made up the story of the anonymous attacker. The defense argued that the killing was the work of one or more murderers, and it would have been impossible for Gustafsson to attack his friends with the amount of injury he also received from the incident. 
On October 7, 2005, Niels was acquitted of the crime and awarded monetary compensation for mental suffering caused by the trial. So there were two of the most mysterious and chilling stories around. The world can be a crazy place, and Twisted Twos is sure to show you why. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. We have many new scary mysteries videos every single week that we know you'll love. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week.